Listen, we got to do something. I haven't got to hear this in three weeks. If you're in love with Jesus, can we give him seven seconds of your best praise? Come on. <laughs> Great job. Great job. We're so excited you're here. If you're new here today, yeah, we get a little excited about Jesus and I always like to start off with a little bit of praise to him. So thank you for obliging. And let's just keep giving the Lord our heart and our praise. Let's also go ahead and welcome our online campus right now. We want to welcome them in wherever they are. Come on, tune in, be a part of this. Amen. Tell you a cool little story out in the, out in the courtyard this morning after the first experience. I had a couple walk up to me and introduce themselves. It was their first time ever being here. And they said, Pastor, we're from Belleville, Illinois. We watch online every weekend and half for over two years. And they got up this morning and drove to the campus from Illinois. Is that absolutely amazing? So online campus, wherever you are, where you're a part of CPC and we love you, please take the message notes right now off of any of our media outlets and download them in-house, grab yours. I hope that many of you will join me to, uh, this afternoon at 4 p.m. for our starting point. If you want to know more about the DNA of our church and who we are, get connected to a small group or into a serve team. You're also going to hear me talk more about small groups tonight as throughout the fall, we're going to be doing some revamping of groups and I'm going to be recruiting a lot of you and asking many of you to pray about leading a small group or hosting a small group. And I'm actually going to do some training this fall. You'll hear more about that coming up over the next few weeks. I just want to plant the seed for you to be praying about that. Uh, and, and get involved. This fall, we want to really see a lot of people get into a group and start some new groups. And so it's going to be an amazing time for us as a church. Come today, four o'clock, get connected. Also, you see I'm wearing some new swag this morning. We're, we're getting ready to launch the next um, semester of our uh, Connection Point Leadership College. Year number two is getting ready to begin next month. And let's let all the interns, and we got a big crew of interns coming in, let them know right now how proud you are of them. You're going to be praying for them this fall. Would you do that? Amen. How's your faith going? How's your faith right now? Is it strong? Is it healthy? Do you know what I'm talking about when I say... How's your faith? See, Galatians chapter 3, verse 11 tells us that for those of us who are followers of Jesus, it says, the righteous shall live by faith. Now, I think this is a key verse for us because you can't become righteous in God's sight outside of faith to begin with. You're not saved by your good works. If you could get to God because of your good deeds, then Jesus going to the cross was a mistake. I want you to look at your neighbor right now and tell him, you may be good, but you're not that good. You're not, going to go, you're not going to be forgiven of your sin and receive eternal life because you earned it or you're that good. You're just not that good, neither am I. That's why God sent his son. Jesus died on the cross and paid our sin debt, was buried, and rose again on the third day. The way you and I are forgiven of sin and being made right with God is we put our faith, we put our trust in what Jesus did on the cross and that is applied to our account. How many thank God that we're saved by grace through faith? Amen? Now watch this. It's one thing to have faith in order to be saved, but after that, 
The Bible says now, even after you're saved, the righteous, we who've been made right through faith in Christ, the righteous shall live by faith. Now it's not just I'm saved, now it is to continue living by faith every day, good and bad, sunshine and rain, heat and cold, good day, bad day, doesn't matter, the righteous live by faith. Today we're going to talk about this, and we're going to go in our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. You'll also see that's there on your message notes. Now let me give you some background here to this letter. We don't know who the author was other than we know God authored it ultimately and he penned it through the hands of someone. All kinds of ideas out there, who it was. Some think it was Paul, some say Dr. Luke. Some even say it was Priscilla. We don't know who the author was. Doesn't really matter. What matters is the content of the letter. The letter was probably written somewhere around AD 64 to AD 69 to Jews who are living in Rome. This is key because if you understand what was going on in Rome for Christians in between AD 64 and AD 69, this is at the heat of the persecution from Nero. Nero is killing Christians left and right. He's declared a war on Christians. And this is uh, not just to any group of Christians up in Rome. This letter is specific. It's written to the Hebrew Christians, Jews who have converted to Christianity who are now living up in Rome. And, and why is this so important is because history even tells us that the persecution against these Jewish Christians was so severe, they were given an opportunity to escape the punishment, to escape the suffering. All they had to do was denounce Jesus denounce their faith, apostatize their faith, and return back to Judaism. And history tells us many Jewish Christians were doing that. The letter to the Hebrews is likely the author telling these Jewish Christians that I know you're under suffering and I know you're being tempted to, to walk away from your faith in Christ and return to Judaism. But over and over and over again in this letter, the writer is reminding them there's salvation in no one else other than in Jesus. And though you're suffering now, following Jesus is still the best way. And he's encouraging them to persevere, to hang on, to endure whatever comes their way. And when you come to Hebrews chapter 11, he gives them a definition of what it looks like to live by faith. Look at it with me if you would. We're going to read the first three verses out loud and you're going to see the definition and then some examples. Here's how it begins. He says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old, that's talking about Old Testament saints before Christ, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. And so that what, we, what is seen is not made out of things that are visible. And in this moment, the writer of Hebrews, he's appealing to these people's faith, these Jewish Christians' faith, and he's reminding them that faith isn't what you see. Faith is assurance in what you hope for. It is a conviction in what you have not seen yet. In fact, there in verse one, let's circle those two words together and say them out loud, assurance and conviction. Ready? Circle them and say them. One, two, three. Assurance, conviction. 
It's this assurance of things hoped for. Let me just ask you this morning, how many of you have an assurance inside your heart there's a place called heaven after you die? You hope for that, right? And the word hope here in this verse isn't a, whoo, I hope it's there. The word here means a rock solid assurance. It's an assurance that I believe there's a place called heaven and you're gonna, it's gonna take a long time for you to convince me otherwise. That's what this word's meaning. I have this assurance of what I hope for, but it's also a conviction. And a conviction goes deep into the gut and into the soul. It's a conviction of things I haven't seen yet. How many of you in this room and online believe that Jesus Christ truly was born of a virgin, died on the cross and rose from the grave? Do you believe that? Are you convicted about that? Do you believe that to the core of your being? You haven't seen him. You weren't there. But it's a conviction that gets down deep in your gut, down in your soul. And he goes on to explain, hey, I want to tell you something, y'all. This is the Hebrew writer. Even the Old Testament saints before Jesus They lived by faith too. And guess what? Here's what you're going to pick up on as we talk about this today. The Old Testament saints didn't have everything you and I have today to live by faith. Number one, they didn't have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of them. And we on this side of the cross know that if you put your faith in Christ, you're born again by the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit of God moves inside you and you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And Old Testament saints did not have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of them. Something else Old Testament saints didn't have that you and I are also blessed with. They didn't have a complete copy of the word of God, the canon of scripture. They didn't have a personal copy of scripture. They had to go to the synagogue or to the temple to hear someone else read from the words of the Lord. But you and I have this, we have a physical book or you can get on your handy dandy cell phone, right? And you can, you can have all kinds of translations of scripture right there on your phone. We're so blessed. And the writer of Hebrews is reminding these Christians, as I want to remind you, that people have been living by faith long before us. And he says these Old Testament faith saints, they lived by faith. And then he gives an illustration in verse 3, and he uses creation. He says, and by the word of God, by faith we understand the universe was created by the word, and so that what is seen is not made out of things which is invisible or which is visible. He's saying we, can't, we didn't see and we can't even see what created all this, but we know what we see in creation and it declares there's gotta be a designer. Some people have a lot of faith. They have faith in just some invisible molecules and that's faith too because they can't see the molecules. They created all this with a big bang. We believe in a big bang too. God spoke, bang, it happened. Pretty awesome. Whatever process he used, that's up to him. But creation itself, Romans chapter 120 says, if you go outside and look at nature and just see creation, creation screams to us, there's a designer. Uh, Recently, my my family and I, while we were on my summer break, we wanted to go somewhere we've never been. And uh, we kind of did it for a couple of reasons. One, my mother passed away back in December And Lisa and I got to talking and said, you know, after we get this state settled and everything's done and we've gone through the emotions of that, we want to take whatever kids and grandkids are able to go, we're just going to take off and we want to go somewhere this summer we've never been and just enjoy nature and be somewhere, experience something new. And, And part of it was in honor of my mother. 
And so this year we went to Colorado. Now some of you have been to Colorado, I've heard your story. So we went to Colorado and yeah, you're right, it is gorgeous. But while we were out there, my kids had agendas for us each day and they loved to hike and so we did a lot of hiking. Here's, here's one trip we were going out. We were about, we were in the Rocky Mountain National Forest here and we're getting ready to track some mountain, hike some mountains. I believe we're gonna hike the one on the right is where we're going on this day. And what we were gonna do when we got to the top is there's a river that starts up there at the top of this mountain. Uh, it took us a while, but we finally made it, especially taking along kids up, up side of a mountain. We got to the top and here's this river. And it's, it's not real large here, but it's beautiful and it's powerful. And we enjoy just looking at God's creation. But when you go down the mountain, here's what we noticed about the river. The further you go down the mountain, the stronger the river became, the, the stronger the rapids. In fact, we got to this point right here. And, and if I'd had a raft, I might have, well, I would have wanted to. But you see what happens when the wife throws you off the mountain to begin with. All right. So I would have loved to you know, row the raft down these mountains. But anyway, then we get down to Estes Park. And this is this beautiful little mountain town. That same river runs through this town, but by the time it comes to the town, it's not raging rapids anymore. It's just this beautiful stream, and they built this uh, walk all through town where you just walk alongside the river. And I could have just stayed right there. Give me a cup of coffee, a book, I'm, I'm good. Right there. Why don't I show you this? While we were out there, Lisa had an opportunity to meet a young lady in her early 20s who was a self-professed atheist. And she lives out in the midst of all this beauty. And in their conversation, it was a very respectful conversation. Please hear me. When you're sharing the gospel with someone, especially someone that very much doesn't agree or believe in what you believe in, please be respectful. It was a very gracious, uh, professional conversation, very respectful conversation. And in that conversation, Lisa was just trying to stay in tune to the Holy Spirit. And you know what the one thing is God led her to talk about that actually had an impact on this young lady was the very thing she takes for granted every single day of her life, nature, that she lives in the midst of all this beauty. And, and Lisa was able to just share with her, look at the nature and tell me there's not a designer. It's just so miraculous. And that's what the author of Hebrews says here, when your faith is weak, just look around you and open your eyes and sometimes what we will see around us will encourage us and build back our faith. What we're gonna do for just a moment is we're gonna just take a little survey of faith, a little theology of faith in the Bible. What's the Bible teach us about faith? Because how many of you would say you've ever met someone that seemed like they had a little more faith than you have? Anybody met that person? I've met all kinds of them. They, they're like, I got faith, but they've got real faith, right? And you shouldn't feel bad about that. God has picked some people to have more faith than others. Did you know that? Look at this verse. Here's what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. After you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit of God moves in. When the Holy Spirit moves in, he brings with him various gifts. Let me say this to you up front. Not everyone receives the same gift, nor should all Christians be seeking only one particular gift. The scripture says the Holy Spirit chooses what gift you receive. But you all have one. You may not even know this, but look at what the Bible says. To one is given a message of wisdom through the Spirit. Say the next two words with me. Ready, go. To 
another a message of knowledge by the same Spirit. Say those two words again. Come on. To another, what's the next word? Faith. Faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by one Spirit. And you can read all the gifts there in 1 Corinthians 12. Here's what I want you to capture. Some people are given by the Spirit a gift of faith that's greater and stronger than others. And God, the Holy Spirit, decides what gifts we have within the body of Christ to make us healthy and to make us strong together. This is why we need one another. But everyone receives a measure of faith. Look at this verse in Romans. Romans 12, 3. And God has distributed a measure of faith, say it, to each one. So there's no cop out here about having little faith, right? Everyone has given, been given a little bit of faith. We all have enough faith to believe in the Lord Jesus if we want to. We've all been given a little faith. And can I tell you some good news from the Bible, from Jesus' words himself? It only takes a little bit of faith to move mountains. In fact, look at this verse. This is Jesus In Matthew, Jesus says, if you have faith the size of a grain of a mustard seed, and if you know what that looks like, it's the size of an ink pen head, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. Now, now look up here, and and let's just be honest for a moment, because there may be a preacher who, back when he was a teenager, took this verse so literally that he may or may not have spoke to some hills in Kentucky just to see if they would move. (laughs) They may or may not have moved, probably more on the knot. This verse, listen, and here I want to explain something about faith here. Sometimes in Christianity, we almost lean into witchcraft. And we start looking at faith and some scriptures and declarations of faith almost as if it's a book of spells and we can control God and make God do things. And like it's that we, if we have enough faith, we all of a sudden have this power. That's not what Jesus is teaching here. You don't have the faith to move the mountains, but faith is in the character of God. And if you truly believe in God, you can believe that if it's in God's will, there's nothing God can't do and God can move any mountain that you ask him to. You may say, I don't know about that preacher. I thought I had it all. Well, there is something too about asking according to his will. Look at 1 John. This is why you can't take a verse out of context. You got to see the totality of what scripture teaches. I'm giving you a theology of faith here by scanning through the New Testament. This is the confidence that we have toward him. Somebody shout confidence. That if we ask, somebody shout, we got to ask. Ask anything according to his He hears us. And so we got to believe that God can move the mountains and God can do whatever we're asking him to do. But we also got to pray, God, it's got to be your will, not our will. Because how many have asked things out of your will, didn't even care what God said about it? I have. I've not consulted God's will about everything I've asked for. Now, sometimes when we go through struggles and trials and tribulations, how many know your faith starts getting weak? How many has ever had some, some issues in life knock you, knock you down a, a notch or two and your faith gets weak? We've all had that, haven't we? 
Look at Mark chapter 9. This is a moment when a father who has a sick child and nothing seems to heal this child and he comes to Jesus and when he comes to Jesus, he's in a moment of desperation and he asks Jesus if he can heal his son and Jesus said to him, read with me, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. Now, if you just stop right there, pull that verse out, you can come up with a theology that says if you have enough faith, it'll happen And the the sad part of that is, is the flip side is, is people who prayed and God didn't answer according to what they wanted. They've also had well-meaning Christians look right back at them and say, well, it's because you didn't have enough faith. And people have been hurt by misinterpretation of scripture. Watch this, go back to it. All things are possible to the one who believes, period, but there's not, he's not over. Jesus isn't over. Immediately, the father of the child cried out, what's he say? I believe, help my unbelief. How many of you have ever been in that part? God, I do believe. God, I do believe. I believe you've got the power. God, I know you can answer this prayer. But at the same time, the other side of you is full of doubt. Can I tell you what Jesus doesn't do to this father? He doesn't chastise him for having faith and doubt in the same body. He knows he's human. There's a psalm that says God remembers that we're just dust. Look at your neighbor and tell him, you are dirty. Come back, come back. I just, y'all were getting too serious for a moment. Come here. There's another passage where four friends take a friend who's lame and let him down through a hole in the roof in front of Jesus. And the Bible says that Jesus didn't look at the man's faith, he looked at the faith of his friends. And there's a scripture, there's a principle here that we need to learn. Sometimes you are going to have faith and doubt and and it's gonna be a close battle. And in those moments, you need to have people surrounding you who are full of faith to have faith when your faith is weak. And there are ways to strengthen your faith. Two ways I will share with you right now of how to strengthen your faith when it's weak is one of them is here in Romans chapter 10. So faith comes by hearing and hearing through the what? Word, and that's important, word of Christ. Now the reason I had you to stop on the word word there is because what the Bible's teaching here is, is you need to get into the word to strengthen your faith, but watch this, watch this. You've also gotta let the word get inside of you. You see the word word there in that verse is the word rhema. There are two words for word in the Greek, in the New Testament, logos, rhema. When you're just generally reading the word of God, you're reading the logos. When I read you this scripture, I'm reading to you the logos of God, the word of God. But when the light bulb goes off and all of a sudden the word comes alive inside of you and it's like, wait a minute, God is speaking that word right now to me. That's when it comes from logos to rhema. And the way it builds our faith is, is as you read the scriptures, you keep on reading until God takes a verse and it comes alive and it builds your faith and it speaks to you in that moment. Another way we grow in our faith is by deepening in our relationship to Christ. Look at Ephesians chapter three at this prayer 
that Paul prayed for us. He says that according to the riches of his glory, he may, God, grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Read the next line out loud. Ready to go. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you've been rooted and grounded in love. That you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints. What is the breath? What is the length? What is the height and the depth? And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I just give you this quick little theology of, of faith because what I hope you're catching on here is everyone has faith. You have faith. Sometimes it's going to get weakened. Sometimes you're even going to have doubts and you can go to Jesus and he understands. You can say, I believe, help my unbelief. You need to keep people around you full of faith. Get into his word and deepening your relationship. And that's what I want you to see. Faith is not believing God can do miracles. Faith is believing in Jesus himself. That whatever he says, he can do. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 now, back on your message notes. Let's pick this back up. So here's what the scripture says. And so without faith, it is, and without faith, it is impossible to please him for whoever would draw near to God, here we go, ready, must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. Here's what I want you to capture. Do you see the relationship side to faith? It's not, it's not cold. It's not academic. This faith that you and I are called to live by is all developed on a personal relationship with Christ, knowing him, believing him, trusting in him. So here's how we say it around here at CPC. This is how we say this code value should be living out in my life, in your life, in our church. It's our number nine code here at our church. It's all about faith. Write this down. We say it like this. We trust God. We just simply are going to tell you what faith is. Faith matters because it means we trust God. And you come down to Hebrews chapter 11 and you open it up there and as soon as he gets done talking about creation, here's what the writer of Hebrews does. He starts going through these Old Testament saints and giving illustration after illustration after illustration and he says things like this, by faith Abel, by faith Enoch, by faith. Abraham, by faith, Sarah, by faith, Joseph, by faith, Noah, got him out of line, by, because I'm looking at you, not the verse, by faith, Moses. He just goes through all these Old Testament saints, and you know what he's doing? He's telling you their God story, he's giving you their testimony, how God worked miracles in these people. One common denominator. They had a personal faith in God. 
And this is before they had scriptures and before they had the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says they were commended. I want you to think about it for a minute. Noah is told to build a boat. Did Noah know what a boat looked like? He's never seen a boat. God told him it's about to rain. Did God, did Noah understand what rain was? What it was going to look like? If you know the Bible story, it had never rained on the earth to this point. It was just a heavy dew every morning that watered the vegetation. He didn't know what any of this was like. God didn't give him all the answers. He just said, go do this. Abraham was told to leave his country and go to a land that who's, who have a city whose builder maker is God. When he was 75 years old, God visited him and said, hey, Abraham, do you got any kids? No, I don't have any kids. You're going to, and you're going to have a whole nation born out of you. He's 75 and his wife was 65. He gets up around 100 years of age. His wife is 90 years of age. And and she's listening as as an angel's telling Abraham in a tent saying, hey, this time next year, your wife Sarah is going to have a baby. She's 90. She giggles. She says to something of this extreme, how am I, a woman all pruned up, going to have a baby? (laughs) Moses, when Moses was told by God in the desert to go back to Pharaoh and command, he let go two million slaves. Did God tell him how he was going to do it? Did God tell Moses what the plagues were going to look like? When he finally delivered uh, the children of Israel out of Egypt and they're running toward the promised land and they got ran out by the Egyptians, the Egyptians gave them gold and silver and money just to get out of town. You can imagine the celebration as the children of Israel were getting out of Egypt. How many of you have ever had a blessing come after a strong trial and then all of a sudden about the time you get your blessing, another trial hit right after The children of Israel come out of Egypt. They're all singing and celebrating. And then the next thing you know, they run into the Red Sea. (laughs) And God says to Moses, take your stick, big boy, and hold the stick out over the Red Sea, and I'll make a way for you. Some of you think Abraham went to that Red Sea with his stick. Or Moses. Who did I say? Abraham? All right, Moses, I ain't preaching three weeks, y'all. Y'all got to give me some grace. My voice is already struggling. Moses gets to the Red Sea, and God says, stick that stick out over the Red Sea, and I'll make a way for you. How many know Moses didn't have a clue what God was about to do next? And I know some of you by faith think Moses was back there going, wow, this is going to be great. Everybody's going to love me. Wait till they see what I can do with a stick. No, I think Moses is back there going, God, are you really saying this? God, they're already about ready to stone me back here, and you want me to hold a stick out? Give me a plan. Give me a path. And God says, just, just Moses, just stick the stick out over the water. <laughs> Go back to Abraham. Abraham! Just 
just go back there and wink at your wife. <laughs> Noah, go start cutting down some trees and build a boat. Look up here at me, everybody. None of them were trusting in God's miracles or the fact that they understood God because they didn't. Write this down. Faith is simply trusting in God's character. Do you believe that God is who he said he is and do you believe he'll do what he said he will do even if you don't understand the process? Can you trust God even when God makes no sense to you? Will you put your faith online campus in God when God tells you to do something that makes absolutely no sense to you in that moment? Faith isn't believing in miracles. Don't believe in miracles. Believe in the miracle maker. Believe in the one who's going to work all things out according to his plan, however he chooses to do it. It was all up to God to begin with. God knows what he's up to. Faith is trusting God's character. And when you trust God's character, watch this, write this down. You'll be able to walk with courage however God leads. So Noah went out there and started cutting down trees, gopher wood. Abraham went and had a date with his wife. Moses stuck the rod out over the Red Sea and God parted the waters. And I don't know what you may be getting challenged by God to believe today, but there are going to be times that God is going to challenge your faith and you're going to want the miracle or you're going to want God to show you how it's going to make sense and God's intentionally not going to give you the answer you're looking for. He's going to ask you one simple question. Do you trust me? Faith is trusting in God's character. And it won't always work out exactly the way you wanted it to. It didn't with these Old Testament saints either. Go back to Hebrews with me real quickly and look at this. Hebrews chapter 11 says, and what more shall I say for time would fail me to tell about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of the fire, that's the Hebrew boys, escaped the edge of the sword, made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by the resurrection. We read that and we're like, way to go. Look at God. These people had faith. God did the miracle. Wow. But the verses don't end there. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with a sword, they went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. We read that and we're like, oh, I don't like the end of their story. But look at the next verse. Read with me now. And all these 
though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart they should not be made perfect without us. You don't know how your story is going to end or even how your prayers are going to be answered. That's not the question about faith. The question about faith is, do you trust God is and that God is working and will do what his will declares is best? Can you trust him in that? While we were on vacation, we went to a church and their pastor was gone in July too. I don't know what it is with these preachers take off July. And they had a guest pastor and author there. His name is Levi Lusco. And he made this statement. He said, faith is, yes, God. Now, what's the question? Not, yes, God, as long as you show me the way. Or, yes, God, as long as there's no pain involved. Or, yes, God, as long as all my prayers get answered the way I want. That's not faith. Faith is, yes, God, what's the question? How many of you got that kind of faith today? We all have the ability to have that kind of faith, but sometimes it gets tough, doesn't it? So Hebrews then tells us this last thing. You remember a while ago in that verse it says, but they didn't have some promise that you and I have been given on this side of the cross? What is that promise? Well, maybe I should say it like this. It's not a what, it's a who. The Bible says everybody in the Old Testament was looking to someone. But we on this side of the cross are looking back at someone. The object of our faith isn't power and miracles. Here's your big takeaway. The object of our faith is Jesus. And so when the question gets asked, do you trust God? It's really, do you have confidence in Jesus? Do you have assurance and conviction that Jesus will be faithful to you in all things? Look with me at this last verse, Hebrews chapter 12. Here's what the writer of Hebrews goes on to say. Let's read it out loud together. Ready? Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance this race set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, He despised the shame and is now sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. Here's what the writer of Hebrews says for us when our faith, when we're struggling with living by faith. He says three things. I want you to catch this. For one, we need to look around. God has put a great cloud of witnesses all around us, people of faith. And when your faith is weak, theirs may be strong. Get your eyes off of you and get them on someone, a brother, a sister, who's strong in their faith right now and let that inspire you. Look in. Is there any unconfessed sin? Is there anything displeasing to the Lord right now? Is there any 
any sin that's holding you captive, don't allow sin to hold you a slave any longer. Look in. Lay aside every sin and wait. Are the things there that's holding you back from God? Repent of that. Give it over to the Lord. Number three, look up. Set your eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. Get back in the game and run your race. Amen? Faith is assurance and conviction in the character of God.